Welcome again to those of you who are here or watching online or listening later to our podcast. But if you're listening later, just know you're missing out on our colorful Pentecost clothing. So my dress I purchased from a Palestinian shop in Bethlehem. And the embroidery, though, reminds me of something that my Scandinavian grandmother made. And I loved that. I am grateful to be preaching on Pentecost Sunday, the road to Pentecost, and here we are. It's the day that the Holy Spirit descended upon the gathered believers, and I have to confess, but I'm a bit fixated on the place where it happened, the upper room where the disciples met. That's where they were meeting when the Holy Spirit descended upon them on Pentecost. It's always fascinated me, and I loved visiting the site on my pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And I have this video that I took right outside. Look at that wind. The video was taken outside of the tiny church of St. Mark, built on the traditional site of the upper room a bit away from the crowded center of old Jerusalem in the Armenian quarter. That wind just evokes to me that feeling of excitement being there, and it was a bit away from the crowds that we had encountered all throughout Jerusalem. St. Mark is the smallest and oldest church community in Jerusalem. They speak Aramaic, the language that Jesus would have spoken. And the tradition is that the site of the upper room was the family home of John Mark, also known as Mark, companion of Peter, the author of the Gospel of Mark. Here's a picture of our pilgrimage group enjoying the site. But around the corner, there was a doorway that I explored, just me, our guide, Iad, and our leader, Pastor Debbie. And then the staircase we went down, which led to another staircase to this underground vault. And this area wasn't open to groups, but our tour guide led us to it. It may have been the original upper room or close to it. It felt like a holy, sacred place to me, and it gave me wonderful chills. And then as we left, this very sweet lady, tiny little lady, the next slide, this tiny little lady came up to Pastor Debbie, blessing her and telling her that God loves her. We don't know where she came from. She felt like an angel. You know, the first time we hear in the scriptures about this upper room, this amazing place, was when the place was arranged for Jesus' disciples to have their Passover Seder, that last supper that the disciples had with Jesus the night he was arrested. You remember the Last Supper where Jesus broke the bread and then he shared the cup, his body given for them, the cup of the new covenant sealed in his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And then later, as they left the room, Jesus was arrested and he was beaten and crucified. Jesus was buried in a tomb and when he was resurrected that glorious Sunday, Jesus came back to that upper room that resurrection evening. On Resurrection Sunday, that evening, the disciples were confused about the news they heard about Jesus' resurrection. They were scared about the authorities. They were huddled in that same room. Jesus appears to them and breathes the spirit of peace upon them. And then another week later, the disciples are still in that room. They have Doubting Thomas with them. The disciples are still wondering, and Jesus appears again. They're still in the upper room, people. It must be important. 
The disciples then have 40 days of joy and wonder on that road to Pentecost. Jesus appears to them and others in Jerusalem, in Galilee. It must have been so joyful, so amazing. But then the 40 days end. The disciples see Jesus ascend to heaven after the promise that they'll receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon them, and they will be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells them not to leave Jerusalem, so no surprise, where do they go? Church, back to the upper room, back to that home. There may be a road to Pentecost, but it's been a bit circular. They keep coming back to that same place. Resurrection life following Jesus keeps them gathered together, and they go back to that upper room. Remember that the disciples are mostly a bunch of guys from Galilee. They're not from this area. Jesus is the one who secured this room for them. They didn't have Airbnb like this. Interestingly, a lot of properties still in this current day can hold 12 people or more for a festival time, but at a price. Hmm, 13,000. The disciples had something better. They had connections and relationships through Jesus because this season is packed in Jerusalem. It would be packed for this festival of weeks that David read for us from Deuteronomy. This is one of the big three festivals that would bring Jewish pilgrims to the temple. So what can we learn and apply from the experiences of that first Pentecost? Let's imagine ourselves in that upper room and listen to the story. From the Acts of the Apostles, chapter two, verses one through 13. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of, as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each heard them speaking in the native tongue of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are they not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elmanites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deed of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What can we learn from this gathering empowered by the Holy Spirit? First, this Pentecost gathering demonstrates that the life of the Spirit is relational. The disciples are in relationship with God and with each other. The living God is a relational God, the triune God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift of the Father, promised by Jesus, co-creator of the world together. The spirit that animates the world and all life is also the spirit that enlivens and animates our community together. 
and it's hard for human comprehension. There's mystery in understanding the Trinity. People try, and it's hard. But at the heart of the Trinity is mutual love and connection. And so our life together is also to be marked by mutual love and connection with God and with each other. So here are the disciples back in that room at that table. Their trials and their joys together, they've prepared them. They've formed their hearts together, and they're ready to receive this Holy Spirit power. Church table life together is important. It's important and sacramental. It's full of the reminders of God's grace for each of us when we gather, when we return again, when we wait together, when we pray for one another. And we can see this so clearly in the lives of these disciples who return to this place where they've experienced Jesus' grace and where they have shared many meals together. Being together is important in our spiritual life. And yes, there is mystery in this sacramental life, we know. There's not human certainty. Wondering is part of our spiritual life. It's integrated. It's important. The disciples are wondering what their experience with the Holy Spirit really means. They know, though, that they're meant to be experiencing it together. We're meant to live together with sacramental table fellowship and beyond, even when life is puzzling, particularly when life is puzzling. So imagine these disciples digesting and metabolizing God's spirit, both amazed and wondering, while others scoffed that they were full of new wine. And this irony occurred to me. The scoffers say that they're full of new wine. They could have turned and said, well, yes, we are. The wine of the new covenant, sealed in the blood of Jesus. They are full of this mysterious and beautiful spirit of grace. They may not be able to analyze how it works, but they will experience that the spirit empowers them for new life. Church, just read the whole book of Acts. They go from terrified to cowering in that upper room to courageous and bold, spreading the gospel all for the glory of Jesus. So the second thing we learn is that this gathering demonstrates the movement of the Spirit is expansive in surprising ways. The Spirit moves towards inclusion rather than exclusion. Think about this, the many languages perceived by the crowd, it is both a miracle of the speaking and a miracle of the hearing. The disciples and all those who gather around hear one another through the Spirit. The focus is on the disciples, but everyone, well, except for the scoffers, they are part of the miracle. Do you remember that list that I read? One of the things that's important to note is there are more languages heard than there were disciples to speak. Clearly, the Holy Spirit was working with both those who were speaking and those who were perceiving. All received that gift of the Holy Spirit. The disciples speak in the native language of these immigrant people and they tell of the glory of God, not in the language of the empire, but in the language of the people subject to the empire. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is meant for all the people. The Holy Spirit empowers powerless. The Holy Spirit is true to the witness of justice and compassion. The Holy Spirit is true to the scriptures. 
And the Holy Spirit in our time, in the same way, should lead us to embrace that the kingdom is meant to be where power is used for justice and love is the highest value in the world. It's a love that's unified around Jesus, not seeking exclusion, not calling for conformity, but seeks expansiveness. And I know it's sometimes hard to grapple with what does it mean to be unified in the spirit and not seek some conformity. Humans can get it wrong and rules become commonplace. Have you ever experienced this? The Apostle Paul in the early church experienced this. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 7, I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. You know, this past week, Pastor Dave shared this passage as a devotion with the staff and then later with the session of the church, our elders. We discussed how this means that we all affirm the uniqueness of the people around us and the gifts in our community. And we focus on the oneness of the Lord. We focus on one Lord, one hope, one spirit. We're focused on Jesus as the center with unity in the spirit as our goal. You know, I've had experiences with Christian groups in the past that would say they were led by the spirit, but their outcome wasn't loving and it wasn't a witness to the gospel. I think they may have been led by some other spirit, the spirit of shared conformity or systemic misogyny or racism or groupthink, right? You remember groupthink, it's that phenomena studied by social scientists that it occurs when people are well-intentioned but they make these decisions driven by an urge to conform to the group, a belief that dissent is impossible, sometimes driven by an agenda, but sometimes it's just because group members value harmony with each other, harmony above coherent thought, critical truth. Some communities, including churches, including churches, they can become closed-minded and isolated and experience groupthink. And then they say it's the Holy Spirit because they were all unified. That's not true, church. We know there's some historic issues in the American church when people who are different are oppressed by those who use groupthink, those who are in power, who look like everyone else. I mean, one that has come to mind is the Salem witch trials in Massachusetts. The single women who lived alone weren't to be trusted that anything bad was their fault, and they became blamed, and there was hysteria when young girls became ill. And that's just one example. But in God's church, empowered by the Spirit, all people should be welcome, everyone, every age, every race, color, national origin, gender identity, socioeconomic status. The witness of the spirit that poured out on Pentecost from that upper room is meant to be expansive, not inwardly focused and exclusive. 
We're to gather, but we're gathering for the sake of the kingdom of God to be on display for all the world and for our neighbors to be loved and invited in. That's why we gather. And then the third thing that this Pentecost gathering demonstrates is how the Holy Spirit is connected to the word of God. It's powerful and flowing, connected to God's truth. You know, the disciples were speaking about God's deed of power. That's what the scripture tells us. They were speaking about God's deeds of power. They were witnessing about the truth that they saw. It was more than just emotional enthusiasm. And I'm sorry, I'm getting a little theologically nerdy here. Bear with me. I want to go back to the origins of that festival of weeks, the reason that they are full in Jerusalem, that festival that took place during Pentecost, the Festival of Weeks. It's a spring harvest festival. It celebrates the first fruits of the spring. It's seven weeks after Pentecost, the first barley and grain harvest. It was a joyful celebration, and this joyful celebration celebrates God's covenant with his people as he brought them to the promised land. God will be their God, and they will be his people. This festival also has a connection to the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. This defines the covenant and what it means to be God's people. These are the scriptures that Jesus and his disciples knew. And there's no mistaking the connection here. Jesus, the word made flesh, gave them a new covenant there in the, open, there in the upper room. And then this new covenant that Jesus gave them that through his sacrifice we could be made whole and right with God? Well, it hadn't been written down yet. Of course, it's only weeks after the Last Supper and the events leading to Jesus' death and his resurrection. But this Pentecost event is deeply linked to that covenantal word of God, to the people of God, through the Hebrew Bible, and now through the disciples witnessing and this witnessing, this oral witnessing, is later captured by the gospel writers. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because of this Pentecost event, we have the Holy Spirit helping those gospel writers to witness the word made flesh through Jesus to us, our Bible, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Scholars believe that Mark's gospel was first. The tradition was that this upper room is Mark's mother's house. Hmm. Either way, we know that God's word received through the Bible is critically important to the Holy Spirit gathered community. While the disciples have this surprising and ecstatic Holy Spirit experience, the context here demonstrates we are to engage both heart and mind perceiving the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit through study and witness of the word of God, through studying scripture. God's word, the witness of scripture, is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So church, in review, what does this Pentecost gathering of these disciples teach us? It teaches us how to live a spirit-filled life together. We should keep gathering for worship. Yay, you're here. We should embrace the mystery of table fellowship and the mystery of how we're strengthened by waiting and pondering together through all the seasons of our life. 
we should seek to welcome those who might feel like they're on the outskirts. We should seek to be inclusive of different people. We should remember we focus on the unity of the spirit, not focus on unity for the sake of conformity. And we should seek the spirit by reading of God's word, studying God's word with others, seeking to enlighten our hearts and minds about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And church, through these things, we can be a church growing in grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's church said, amen.